Oops. Wouldn't have been good, would it? Just checking to see if you were watching. Uh, we are glad that you're here tonight. Thank you for being here. It has been a beautiful day. We're grateful for the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we are so thankful for the privilege that we have to study tonight. We continue our study. Key chapters of Scripture tonight is Acts chapter 2. And I want to just reiterate something that Jared said in his prayer a minute ago. And that is that we ought to check and recheck what we hear with Scripture. And so I encourage you, as we look at these key chapters tonight, we are looking at what has often been called the hub of the Bible, Acts chapter 2. And so as you look at this text with me, I encourage you to study. Make sure that what you hear coincides with what the Bible teaches. I do want to say very quickly on a personal note, thank you for your thoughts, your words of concern, and the prayers that you are offering on our behalf. Uh, I know that this will be a learning experience for us, and I have no doubt we'll grow through this. And so I thank you. I appreciate so much uh, what a great church family we have. I'm thankful to be surrounded by people that are members of the body of Christ who love one another. And so I thank you, and uh, all we can do is fight and uh, ultimately put our trust in God. Whatever happens, we know this, all is well. Tonight we look at Acts chapter 2. I said a minute ago, this is the hub of the Bible. When you look at the life of Jesus and His ministry, His ministry was preparatory to what we're going to read in Acts chapter 2. Because as you well remember, Jesus talked about establishing the church. The church was not, as some have the idea, an afterthought on God's part. But rather, the church exists according to God's eternal plan, based on Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. Jesus had a lot to say about the church or the kingdom of God. And the terms kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and church are often used interchangeably to refer to the same institution. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, following the good confession by the Apostle Peter, that He was indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, it was on that occasion that Jesus promised to build the church. And then in verse 19, He said to Peter, as well as to the other apostles, that they would be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So when we come to Acts chapter 2, Peter and the other apostles, they now have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what they're going to do is unlock the doors that lead into the kingdom of God or the church that Jesus promised to build. Now, remember Jesus said to some of those who were present during His earthly ministry, there are some of you standing here that shall not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Acts chapter 2 is a revelation of the power of Almighty God and the accompaniment of the kingdom, isn't it? So as we look at Acts chapter 2, I want to begin tonight by first of all calling attention to the place. Now Luke tells us that they are assembled in what city? The city of Jerusalem, aren't they? According to verse 5. They are there for the observance of Pentecost. Pentecost occurred... 50 days after 
Passover. And so you count seven Sabbaths, and then the following day, which would be Sunday, the first day of the week, that would be Pentecost Day. Pentecost was a time of thanksgiving by the children of God. They could express their thankfulness to God for His care, His preservation, and all of the provisions that came their way. So look, if you would, in verse 1, the text says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I said in verse 5, they are in the city of Jerusalem. Now you remember back in Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah talked about the church and saw the church as an exalted mountain, he said, into which all nations would flow. That would encompass both Jew and Gentile. But you recall in that context, he said, the word of the Lord would go forth from a specific city. That city was Jerusalem. So they are in the right place, and then with regard to the period, the church was established. Daniel foretold of the church coming into power during the days of the Roman kingdom. Daniel 2, verse 44, In the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all those kingdoms. And he said, it shall stand forever. Now, in comparison to earthly kingdoms that rise and fall and come and go, the kingdom that Daniel foretold of was a kingdom that would stand forever. That's the kingdom that John the Baptist preached about in Matthew chapter 3. It is the same institution that Jesus heralded His coming in Matthew 4, 17. It is the same institution that He promised to build in Matthew 16, 18. So, first and foremost, to understand the place. But then secondly, let's talk for a minute or two about the power. Note if you would in verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them, some translations say, cloven tongues or divided tongues, as a fire. And it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, listen to him, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, you remember back in Luke chapter 24. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. Instructions were given to the apostles that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name beginning in Jerusalem. In verse 49, Jesus said, And now behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. And then He said, But tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So you come to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said to the apostles, and He's about to ascend to heaven, He said, listen to Him, Acts chapter 1, in verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And He said, You shall be witnesses of Me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. So when we come to Acts chapter 2, Pentecost has occurred. Jesus, following His resurrection, was seen by the disciples for a period of 40 days. And Luke said in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, by many infallible proofs, 
So 40 days elapsed, Jesus ascends to heaven. Ten days later, Pentecost occurs, and the church is off and running. So with regard to the endowment of the Holy Spirit, listen to what, listen to what Luke says, beginning in verse 5. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, the apostles are the ones who are endowed with this baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. Everything that they say is guided or superintended by the Holy Spirit. Bear in mind, back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said that He would give the keys of the kingdom of heaven unto Peter as well as the apostles. Chapter 18, verse 18 as well. So whatever they're saying, God is the one ultimately who is legislating it, right? So with that in mind, verse 5, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation unto heaven. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak, listen to what he says, in his own language. When we talk about tongues in the first century, to understand that the apostles had the ability to speak in tongues that previously, or foreign languages, that previously were unlearned to them. I do not know German. And so I would have to learn that language in order to speak it. The apostles, however, received that baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit, enabling them to speak in tongues otherwise unknown to them. And so in verse 7, the Bible says, They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Now listen to verse 8. How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? They were utterly amazed. Now we talk about signs and wonders and miracles. The wonder produced by the signs. In other words, it created awe in the minds of those who heard what was going on. And so in verse 9, Luke tells us those who had assembled in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Parthians and Medes, Eliamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Serene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. And then he said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever does this mean? When you hear people today talking about the ability to speak in tongues, it's not the same. People today do not have the ability to speak in tongues as the apostles did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul said that tongues would cease. Well, when did they cease? In the first century. So with that in mind, listen now to what the text says. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Somewhat incredulous that they attributed what was going on to a spirit of drunkenness. It's only nine in the morning. And so in verse 16, we have a record of Peter going back to the prophet Joel. 
he reaches back to the prophet Joel and basically says, that which Joel had prophesied has now come to pass. He said it will come to pass in the last days, the last days being the last dispensation of time, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my, on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. And then verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter's going to amplify on this thought a little bit later. He's going to tell those in Jerusalem exactly what they needed to do to enjoy salvation or how to call on the name of the Lord. So now in verse 22, we come face to face with the preaching. Peter begins by focusing his message on the cornerstone upon which Christianity has been built as well as the church. Well, who would that be? It'd be Christ, wouldn't it? So listen to him in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words now. Herein lies the cornerstone of Christianity. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved or attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through Him in your midst. I can only imagine the number of people in Jerusalem on this occasion that had opportunity to see the great miracles that Jesus performed throughout His ministry. They heard Him preach. They knew about Him. And as Peter said, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, he said, you've taken and by lawless hands have crucified and slain. In effect, Peter was saying, you are guilty of the death of Jesus, the very Son of God. But then look at verse 24. We talk about the cornerstone of Christianity. And then I think about the capstone. In verse 24, Peter said, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Now acknowledging the resurrected Christ. Had Jesus stayed in the tomb, Christianity would have never gotten off the ground. It would be a dead religion, wouldn't it? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 makes the case for the resurrection of Christ and its importance to Christianity how relative it is to us. Because as Paul said, look, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, our preaching, it's vain. He said, our faith is vain. We're still in sin. We're of all men most miserable or pitiable. And yet, in Romans chapter 1, Paul would say Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness. Now with that in mind, look at verse 25. He quotes David in the Psalms. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, he said, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in Hades. You remember Jesus 
turned to one of the thieves on the cross and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise being the abode of the righteous. When Jesus died, He went to the Hadean realm, the, the world of the unseen, the realm of the unseen. He was in paradise or in the bosom of Abraham. But He was raised from the dead. Now, look if you would at verse 29. Peter now points out this great man of God, this great patriarch and king by the name of David. He said, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that of the fruit of his body according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Look at verse 31. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, in light of what's been said, being exalted to the right hand of God, which would have signified a place of honor as well as authority. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He said, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. The Apostle Peter speaks of the coronation of Jesus, that He is seated at the right hand of God. It is at the right hand of God that He welds all authority. He is, as Paul acknowledged in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and about verse 15, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you are a king, you must have a kingdom. Jesus has a kingdom, doesn't He? That kingdom has been established. It was purchased with the blood of Jesus. Acts 20, verse 28. By the way, Paul said that Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it in Ephesians 5, 25. And so that being said, David said, The Lord said to my Lord. In other words, the Father said to the Son, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36, now we have what we might say the climax of the lesson. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, number one, He has made Him Lord. Jesus is the one who reigns and rules. He is, as I said a minute ago, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So He is the ruler by right. And He is the Christ, or the Anointed One. The One of whom the prophets foretold. And Jesus talked about how He was the fulfillment of that which had been written about Him going all the way back to the Law of Moses. And then He said in the Prophets and the Psalms in Luke 24. You remember in John chapter 5, Jesus said to the Jews of His day, Search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. He said, These are they which testify of me. The Scriptures bore witness to the coming of Christ. And so in verse 37, we have now the convicting power of God's Holy Word. Now back in John chapter 16, Jesus said, and He's speaking exclusively to the apostles, He said, It is to your advantage that I go away. Because he said, if I do not go away, the Comforter, the Helper, will not come to you. But if I depart, he said, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, here's what he's going to do. Number one, he said, he will convict the world of sin. 
of righteousness and of judgment to come. So the Holy Spirit, working through Peter and the other apostles, legislating the terms of admission into the kingdom of God, and talking to them about the death, burial, and resurrected Christ, their hearts were pricked or cut. The Bible says in verse 37, when they heard this, in other words, when they heard this great sermon, they were deeply moved. You remember the, you remember the Hebrew writer said the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So their hearts were pierced. Paul said the gospel is God's power unto salvation. And so they said to Peter and the other apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now let me ask this question. Did they ask the right men what they needed to do to remedy their problem? They did. Are the apostles, are they still legislating the terms of admission into the kingdom of God? The answer is yes, isn't it? So if we want to know something about the kingdom of God or the church of Christ and entrance into the kingdom, it would only stand to reason that we would want to go back to the hub of the Bible, Acts chapter 2, and find out what they did, and if what they did led to salvation, it would only stand to reason it will lead to salvation today. So you have the conviction, the convicting power of God's Word. But then you have the converting power. Peter said, when asked, number one, you need to repent. Repentance of sin was commanded by the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, I tell you, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul said on Mars Hill in Athens, among an idolatrous group of people, he said, the times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is an imperative, just as belief in Jesus is. Did the people to whom Peter and the apostles preached, did they believe in Jesus? The text says that they believed. Peter affirmed that much. Back in verse 22 and following. So they were instructed to repent and be baptized. And is a coordinating conjunction. The responsibility resting upon them, they had to repent and be baptized. If they repented and were baptized, what then would they enjoy? The remission of sins. That is, the forgiveness of sins. You remember back in Mark 16, Jesus instructed the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then He said, He that believeth and is baptized, another coordinating conjunction. So you have belief and baptism. You have repentance and baptism. What then, what then does that lead to? Well, Jesus said it leads to salvation. Peter said it leads to the remission of forgiveness of sins. So you have the converting power of God's Word and then the cleansing power of God's Word. Peter said you need to repent, number one, be baptized, number two, and then you will receive the, then you will receive the remission of the forgiveness of your sins. 
Do you remember when Saul of Tarsus met the Lord on the road to Damascus? For three days, Saul was praying and fasting. When Ananias came to him, Ananias said to him, And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, didn't Peter quote Joel and say that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? How then do we call on the name of the Lord? We obey the gospel. We do exactly what they did. How do you call on the name of the Lord? You hear the gospel, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You repent of your sins, you confess the name of Christ, and then you are immersed in water. For what purpose? For salvation, Mark 16, 16. For the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. For the washing away of sins, Acts 22, verse 16. That's what the Bible has to say about becoming a child of God. Verse 41 says that about 3,000 people gladly received His Word and were baptized. When they were baptized into Christ, not only did they enjoy the benefits of salvation, but they were added to the church of Christ. Now I want to ask this question. How many churches did God authorize in the first century? One church, that's exactly right. How many churches did Jesus promise to build in Matthew 16, verse 18? He only promised to build one church. Isn't that what He said? You're Peter upon this rock, I will build my church, singular and possessive in nature. And didn't the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one body and one spirit, even, it, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all, over all, and through all. What's the body? Ephesians 1, and 23. Put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church. Listen to Him. Which is His body? Jesus died and bought only one church. Or just one. I know that we live in a world that is marred by division. And there are literally churches on every doorstep. But we want to be the church that was purchased or bought with the blood of Christ and that belongs to Christ. And you think about this. If the church was bought by Christ and it belongs to Christ, it ought to wear His name. It ought to wear the church of Christ. Now you could call the body that Jesus purchased, you could call it the church. That term is used over 90 times in the New Testament. You could call it the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church of the living God, the church of God. But the church that we read about in the first century was bought by Jesus, it was built by Jesus, it belongs to Jesus, and it wore the name of Jesus. That's the church we ought to be a member of. And only the saved are in that church. What did they do to get into that church? Peter said, 
Number one, you need to repent. Number two, you need to be baptized. You'll enjoy the remission of sins. And the Lord added to the church the called out daily those who are being saved. You mean to say then that only the saved are in the church? Well, don't take my word for it. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 5. Paul said that Jesus is the Savior of the body. And the body's the church, Colossians 1.18. And there's only one. The church that you're a member of, can you read about it in the Scriptures? Can you identify it in this book that we call the Bible? Jared prayed a minute ago that we would check and double check what we hear. Don't take my word. You make sure that what I have to say coincides with this book. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. There is no authorization, and I want to underscore that. There is no authorization for any denominational man-made church in the world today. Not a single bit of authorization. There is no authorization for the Catholic church. Now there are a lot of folks in the world today, when you say that, that raises eyebrows. The problem is we've gotten away from the pattern. What we've got to do is call people back to Acts chapter 2. Why? Because it is the hub of the Bible, isn't it? When we talk about being a member of the church, I am not a member of a denomination. I am not Church of Christ. I am not a Church of Christ preacher. I am a preacher, I'm a gospel preacher, I am a member of the Church of Christ, but I am not Church of Christ. That's denominational. And I refuse to say that I am Church of Christ. I am an individual member of the body of Jesus, just as you are. And listen, I know there are a lot of folks in the world today that want to write off the church and say you don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven, and they can keep saying that till Jesus comes. But I'm telling you what, the Bible says you do. The Bible says if you want to go to heaven, you'll be in Christ and you'll be in the church of Christ. And there's only one way to get into Christ and there's only one way to get into the church of Christ. And that is to hear the gospel, believe it, repent of sin, confess His name, and then be immersed in water. And when you do that, you contact the blood of Jesus and God's grace. And you become the recipient of every single spiritual blessing known to man based on Ephesians 1 verse 3. Why would anyone want to be in something other than what you read about in Scripture? It makes no sense, does it? To simply be a New Testament Christian. Very quickly, our time's gone. What about the pattern? In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly. Who are the they? the members of the church, that is, those who obeyed the gospel of Christ, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine legislates the church of our Lord today, doesn't it? You know, Paul said the church is the pillar and ground of the truth in 1 Timothy 3.15. So, in the first century, they were guided by a divine pattern. 
they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers, and I think the allusion there is to their New Testament worship. They were instructed to worship God in spirit and in truth, and we are today as well, John 4, 24. The acts of worship spoken of by Luke there, the prayers, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the apostles' doctrine. And then, what about their work? The Bible says all that believed were together. And you can read the text. They were benevolent, weren't they? They were caring and sharing for one another. Why? Because the Apostle Paul said later that we as God's people are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. My question tonight, are you a member of the Church of Christ? In Acts chapter 2, we read of the establishment of the Lord's church. And the Bible says the church that we read about will stand forever. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 18 in the presence of Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. It is a spiritual institution. And we must be born of water and of the Spirit in order to enter it. And when we we become members of the body of Christ, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live so that we might bring Him honor and glory. Tonight, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you, do what they did 2,000 years ago. Be baptized into Christ. Let God wash away your sins. Let Him put you in the church. If you're here tonight, and let's just say you're not faithful, and you know you're not faithful, and you want to be back in fellowship with God, could we pray with you and for you tonight? The Bible says that we are to confess our sins one to another and pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing. When we walk.